All right. Y'all awake yet? I know it's that day, right? We lost an hour. But, man, the sun is shining. The, like, life is shifting, right? Many of you are maybe bitter that you are not on vacation, which is where the other half of our church are, is. But uh, we're glad you're here. And, and listen, we're about, you need to pipe up. And, and also, two things. Uh, you need to pipe up because we're about to talk about a fun subject, which is a good reminder that if, you're, if you were on the bubble about your kid going back to Journey Kids today, I would probably send them. We're going to be talking about... Um, sex, and we won't be vulgar, but we will preach the Bible and be honest. So just as, you know, just a, just a quick disclaimer um, on that. A um, couple things we like to do here at the, at the Journey is one is, is just consistently invite you into uh, more than just Sunday morning. We believe that God has so much to offer his people through his church, not just attending church, but through the body of Christ living together. And so I want to invite you into community. If you're not a part of a community group, I want to invite you to consider that and what that looks like, what a community group is. We have those, uh, they meet, so many meet here at the church. Actually, a few meet here at the church because we've got so many kids that nobody's house can hold them, but our preference is to meet in homes. Um, and so we have uh, some meeting homes on, on different nights of the week, some on Sunday night. Uh, but really what it is is a place to come and share life with one another. It's a place to sit in a circle and open up God's Word and try to apply it to ourselves and to one another and, and to share burdens, to pray for one another, and just to do life. We, we have meals together. We uh, do social events together. And, and the, the idea is that God has made us uh, for relationship with him, but also for relationship with others, to be known deeply, to not be hidden, to have people that actually know our junk and haven't ran away, but instead enter into it with us and, and help walk us out. And so that's the idea of community. And if you're not a part of one, we want to invite you to, to do that. We have a wall. As, as you're, if you're heading out these doors just to the left, we have a wall with different groups, and, um, and you can pick the, the best-looking group leader and, and start there. Um, I'm kidding. Don't don't do it that way. But the thing that I want you to do, you can you can just kind of check out when groups meet and and you know. But here's what I want to encourage you. Some people feel like, man, I got to make that pick right because, you know, once I go, I'm kind of stuck there. No, no, no. You can try out a few different groups. Like that's totally okay. So I want to give you permission if you're here and you're like, I don't know where to start. I went to that one group and they were really weird and I, that's so you just haven't gone back. Well, try out another one. They might be even weirder or you might like them. We don't know. But try them out. Give them a couple weeks and then if you like group leaders know that. People know that. We want you to find a place where you get connected. And so I encourage you to do that. You can stop by the Welcome Desk. You can, uh, you can go on our website or on the app and go to the community group page, the connect page, and, um, and you can go right there and fill out a little card and say, help me find a group. We'll follow up with you and we'll help you do that. So we would love for you to consider that. Um, and then the second, the second thing is, and we talked about this the last few weeks, but like we're trying to figure out how to do offering well here in this day and age. So we've stopped passing baskets a, a, a while ago because most people just don't do cash or check. But we don't want to stop acknowledging this as a part of our worship. Because from the beginning of God's people, he has placed giving uh, as, as a piece of their life together and, and as, a, as a part of their worship. Not because God needs our money. You want you to think about it, okay? God created everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not out. He doesn't need your, you know, few bucks, that's not why he says give. He wants us to trust him. So in the Old Testament, we, he would tell the people, okay, when, you, when you're going to bring in the harvest, whenever you collect your, um, your income for the, for the you know, month, week, year, however that comes in, whenever that comes in, I want you to give some right off the top. Right? Not, this is not a wait and see what you got left over and you know, see if I got enough to tip God. This is, a, this is a posture of worship by saying, okay, right off the top, God has given me this much. And so I'm going to choose to trust him. I'm going to declare my trust in him. 
and, and give back a part of what God has given me. In, in the Old Testament, the, it, was, it was 10%. In the New Testament, it's not as much about a number as it is a posture of heart. But man, what God wants us to give to the point where we are indeed trusting him and not our finances. And so that's why we, we have an offering at the church. Listen, I want to acknowledge, I know that churches have abused that. I know that some of you have a weird feeling. If you're visiting, maybe that's just making you cringe. I want you to know that that's not what we're about. That's not what God's about. And if that causes any angst in you, I want to give you permission to not give this morning. We would rather you just keep attending and, and hear the gospel. Let this service be a gift to you. And we'd also invite you to, to talk to me. We'd love to kind of look at the scriptures and, and, and wrestle with you and like point you there and not just, it's not our agenda. Okay, and then what God does that's really beautiful is he takes the, the gifts and he doesn't just set them aside in some you know, holy offering. He doesn't burn them on an offering, uh, on an altar, but, but he chooses to use them for the, to fund his church, to pay the staff, to send the mission forward, to send missionaries, to, to fund uh, you know, things that we're doing, pay for the building, things like that. And so and God is just brilliant in that. He invites us to participate in, in his mission by worshiping him through giving. So that's why we do what we do. And so even though we're not passing a basket, we want to take a moment to acknowledge that each week and to pray. So some of you have set up weekly or monthly reoccurring gifts, and so you don't think about it much. And I don't think that's, like, we should think about it some. And we should, we should pray, and we should reflect, and we should give God thanks. And so for me, it comes out automatically each month, and, and I don't have to think about it a lot, but I want to take a moment and, and just do that. So if you, if you would like to give this morning, there's options on the screen. You can simply text give SI to 77977. It'll send you a prompt. You can do it quite quickly and easily from your phone. We also have a kiosk out back there. If you want to set it up, you don't want to do your phone, but you want to do it digitally, you can do that. There are uh, boxes you can do cash or check in that way. But honestly, so if you want to give, now, you, now's the opportunity. You can go ahead and do one of those, those ways. But honestly, whether you're giving now or you've given you know, previously this week, month, or quarter, uh, just, let's just take a moment and pray. And let's just ask God to continue to shape our hearts into a people that trust him and that um, honor him with all that he's given us. Again, if you, like any of that gives you angst, our invitation is to, man, let this service be a gift to you. If you're visiting with us, we don't want your money. Like, just we're glad you're here. Uh, but for those of you that, man, this is your church home, we worship through giving this morning, so let's pray. God, um, take what we give, our offering, though it, though it may be small, Lord, use it in a mighty way. Thank you for providing for us, Lord. We live in a, in a place and in a time whenever our, our very often most of us don't feel a, a, a tension about our needs being met because we're in a place of flourishing. And so we know not, the rest of the world is not always like that. So we thank you for the good gifts of, of this, this country and, and this time in which we live. Um, and we just want to give you honor and praise in that and not just take advantage of it and use it all for our own um, desires and wants, but to worship you. And we want to make sure that, we're wor- that we are secure in what we trust. And our money is not secure. It could be gone in a heartbeat. And so make our hearts ones that trust in you, that rest in you, and glorify you. Um, do that as we give this morning. Make us joyful, generous, and cheerful givers this morning. And then take what we give, Lord, and use it to make much of your name. We are privileged to partner with you in the ministry that, that you are doing in the world. So take what we give, Lord, and use it to make much of Jesus. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Good morning, I'm Tara Farthing, and I am the lucky one that gets to read your scripture this morning about sexual immorality. 
So turn to page 955 if you're using the Bibles in front of you. Um, We are going to be reading out of 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. All right, make sure you keep your Bibles open. Bibles open. I want you to see this coming from the Scripture, and, and not just me, for, uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, we believe God is good, and, and He is not embarrassed about sex. In fact, it was His idea, right? Uh, so too often as, as Christians, I think we just do a really bad job. The church, in recent history at least, has done a, um, often a pretty poor job of talking about sex because the, the extent of our conversation a lot of times has been, don't do it before marriage, right? And, and that's really it. And we really weren't really hoping that like, the youth pastor will handle that conversation for us, right? And then other than that, like, we, we kind of don't talk about it. And, and, you know, sometimes at home, like my wife and I have done a lot of premarital counseling and, and the, the couples that we get in, uh, you know, to, in, the, in that room to begin having, this is one of the conversations that we have with them about that. And very often, they've, they've not been taught about sex by the church well, or it's really not been talked about in their home. And so, um, we, we kind of, the church has just not known what to do with this, which is a, which is a shame, honestly, um, because it, it is God's idea, and he's not embarrassed by it. And, and in fact, um, you know, a lot of people would, would think from, from the world's perspective that the church or Christianity religion has, has a low view of sex, right, that we, we don't like it, we don't want people doing it, we, we don't think it's a good thing, when in reality, we should have the highest view of sex, and that does inform how we approach it, um, but we, we have to get that right, and we have to be comfortable um, considering those things. Because, it, it, again, to just say don't do it, or don't do it until you're married, um, is not a great approach. And you know that probably from your own experience, depending on what you know, your background was, or from raising your kids, or just from observing the culture at large, right? Uh, and and we, we just know that in general. To, to give somebody a rule might keep them on track for a bit, right? To give somebody a rule might keep them on track for a minute, for a day or two, but what Paul is going to do here in the scripture today is to teach us to think like a Christian. 
Okay, not like a fundamentalist, oh, we can't talk about that. But no, to think about the implications of the gospel on our everyday life and on all parts of life. And when we do that, when we learn to think critically and, and engage the gospel in all parts of our life, then we can stay on track much longer. Then we can know this is how God wants us to approach these things. So that's exactly what he's going to do. So um, we, we've been in this series uh, in 1 Corinthians, we've just entitled it Issues. We started out with division issues. In the last couple of weeks, we've shifted into relationship issues. How do we handle relationships with one another in the church? And, and so Paul just last week talked about how it was ridiculous and, and did not align with the gospel um, with, uh, in terms of how they were treating one another when it came to um, suing one another. He said, this is ridiculous. And then he goes on to say, okay, and, and it doesn't just give you, it's not this disconnected thing that you do over here, worship God, and then you just do the rest of your life however you want. That's not how it works. He says it matters a lot, and you can't just go about doing all these things. So he gives these list of sins in, um, just in the previous verses, in, in uh, chapter 6, really 9 through um, 11, he gives this list of sins, and then he's going to go right into this other big issue and he's going to use some of their own language um, and their own sayings from their Corinthian culture to address this issue of sexual immorality. So that's what we're talking about today is, is uh, sex outside of marriage and why it is dangerous, why it is harmful. And next week we're going to talk about the sex inside of marriage and why it's good and why it, is, it should be pursued. So why sex outside of marriage should be avoided and why sex inside of marriage should be enjoyed. And so that, that's, that's where we're headed. And, and really the title of today's sermon is, is called The Transcendence of the Transcendent Power of Sex, because it is not just a physical act that, you know, is, is we just do casually without consequences. It's much more than that. And so uh, if you don't know, quick, quick, uh, just a little plug. If, if you use the app and um, the, the Journey app, if you go to, there's a the thing on the home screen called the digital bulletin. Each week we update that with what, what the title of the sermon is, what passage it is, if there's a guest preacher, what their name is. And, and also we, we put some articles and different things and giving information on there. But, and there's an article linked on there today. But um, I encourage you to think critically about this and how we have these conversations as a church, as parents, as a family, how we approach this idea. And so Paul today is going to talk about why it matters whenever we approach, we can approach sex casually and without consequences, because it is indeed something that is well beyond just a physical act. So he starts out quoting, uh, so there's in quotations, if you're looking at your scriptures here in verse 12, uh, it says, all things are lawful for me. And that's in quotes, because that's a quote, that's a, that's a saying from the Corinthian culture. So uh, the, the city of Corinth is a, is a, is a Roman uh, city, it's a, it's a it's a port city that has all sorts of, you know, people coming in, travel. It, you know, it's, it's sort of, it, it, it has a lot of culture, good and bad in it. And so uh, there's a lot of, of craziness in this church. This, this book is going to address the most, uh, all of the books of the, of the New Testament, many of the books of the New Testament are, are written to churches. And, and this one um, is, is going to cover the most uh, broad spectrum of issues of, of any church that Paul is dealing with because there's a lot of, of culture that has bled into the church. So you got to think Christianity is brand new for these people, right? That, that 
this idea of following Christ, of him transforming us through grace because of the sacrifice that he made on the cross, that he was raised from the dead, and he calls us to now follow him and live life for him, that's new. And they're, they're working these things out. And so they've come into the church. They've come in and received the gospel. They're members of this church. But they've also just brought in a lot of what the culture does into the same or the same things the culture does into their church context. And so Paul has been addressing lots and lots of these issues. And so he's going to start by saying, uh, you say, this is what you say. Well, all things are lawful. It, and basically what they're saying is it's not against the law, right? We can do, you know, some of these other sins that are listed in previous verses, but specifically about sexual immorality is where he's headed. And he's saying, well, it's not against the law. Like, what's it hurting, right? There's, there's two consenting adults, right? Then, then what's, what's the problem? It's not, it's not against the law. Why are you all worked up about it? And Paul says, okay, that, that may be true. And it's both talking about the civil law, the, the Roman law of the day, but also because Christ did away with the Jewish law. Like they were no longer bound by that. He didn't do away with it. In fact, he fulfilled it, but it, it no longer was about following these rules. And so they're going, well, hey, it's not about rules anymore. And it's not against Roman law. So like, what does it matter? We can just, we, we can do what we want. Paul says, well, that may be true, but not all things are helpful is the next thing he says. And so he's just saying, hey, you're not even thinking critically about this. You're just saying, well, it, it, it's, you know, it's not against the law, so we can do what we want. And that, that a lot of times is how we approach this subject as well. Because when, when, th- when something becomes primary to us, when something becomes something we want above all else, we'll justify it. And we're not going to think critically about the consequences of it. And so th- this happens in our day too where sex has become king, right? And it, it dominates in our culture in such a way that people don't want to think critically about the actual implications of what happens whenever you just approach sex casually. They, they just want to defend it as a right. And they say, okay, no one has the, you know, no one can tell me what to do with my body. No one can tell me what to do with this gift, this thing. I, I can do what I want, and I don't want to be told that it's right or wrong whenever I do it, you know, with whoever I want to do it with. And, and that's sort of the, 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 the posture. And yet, there's all sorts of implications that, that we don't want to apply, right? We, even even the, the, the conversation about, you know, again, in, in the public school world, we, they just want to talk about, um, you know, just the practical implications of STDs and pregnancy, and then you get into abortion and all those things. And we want to separate those as different conversations. Well, I should still be able to have sex, right? I'll do what I want. Like, no one can tell me that that's wrong to do that. But, but these, you know, these consequences, like, that's not, about, that's not about sex. That's just about my rights, and I, I can have the... And so we sort of want to separate these things. But Paul says, listen, yeah, it may be okay from the law perspective, but is it helpful, And then he goes on to say, he quotes it again, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. What does he mean there? He's he's saying, listen, it may be permissible, it may be legal, but Paul's saying, I'm not going to be, even though it's legal and permissible, and we're no longer under the Jewish law, I'm not going to be dominated by anything. And these people might say, well, I'm not dominated by it, it's just sex, I'm I'm not, you know, like, I'm not under its control. I'm not submitting as a slave. And Paul says, oh, yeah, you are. You need to think it, think it through. Yes, you most certainly are. Because one of the most pervasive and dominating effects of the sexual, really, we are in the midst of a sexual revolution in, in our day in, in a way that affects gender and, and things that, that we've never really seen before. But as far as the culture's view of, of sex, like, it's, it's not changed that much. Like this book 
is not out of date. In fact, it's quite relevant. So in this day and age, prostitution was a little more common and, and just kind of how they approached their sexual issues, right? It was just, it was pretty commonplace, especially in a city like Corinth, but really all over uh, where, you know, it wasn't that big, like it wasn't uncommon for men of good repute and good reputation to just sort of, you know, after a day's work to stop by a brothel and get their needs met and then go home to their wife because the wife wasn't for that. The wife was for bearing kids, you know, having heirs and then having social status and and so they, they sort of disconnected these things. And so prostitution was pretty common. It was also often related to religious worship. And so this was a, a very pervasive thing. This wasn't a taboo thing in the Corinthian culture, much like in our day where, where sex is really uh, influencing so many of our conversations. And, and so Paul says, hey, you, you may say, okay, this is freedom to be able to say I, there's no rules for me. You can't tell me what to do, and that equals freedom. And Paul says, but you're not thinking about the consequences. You're not thinking about, because if you're honest with yourself, hey, how easy is it to stop having sex outside of marriage? How easy is it to, to stop looking at porn in our day? Right? Is that really freedom is, is the challenge that Paul would lay before us. And so I would say today, is it really freedom, men, for you to to be, and, and that's just one implication, right? If, if you're, you're here and you're having sex outside of marriage, like if you have, you know, love for the Lord in your heart, you've probably tried to stop and you know how difficult that is. But beyond that, like, and, and, and quick note as well, my wife and I are going to do a podcast. We have a podcast here called Fermented Faith where we just talk about everyday things of life. And, and my wife and I are going to record two to coincide with these next two sermons called Taking Back Sex. Where we're going to talk about um, really the, the, the biological and um, relational impact of porn specifically on a marriage and how God can redeem that through sex inside of marriage. And so that, those, those will be coming in the next, or one this week and one next week. But um, but really, you think about the, the, the world that we live in and the effect that sin has on it and men that are addicted to porn. And, and again, we want to push away from all rules and say, God can't tell me how to handle my sexuality, but I would submit to you, does it feel like freedom, men, whenever you're constantly thinking about the next time that you're going to be alone, whenever you can get in front of a screen and do what you do whenever you're in front of a screen? Does that feel like freedom? Does that feel like freedom whenever you're, you're worried about being caught in those situations? Does it feel like freedom whenever you're worried about whether or not you cleared your internet history whenever your wife or someone else picks up your phone? Does that feel like freedom or does that feel like being dominated and being controlled by something? Does it feel like freedom whenever you can't get enough and you want to watch more and you want to watch more? Like that's an actual addiction. Controlled by that. And on the other side, and, and not that Porn is just a, an issue for, for men. It predominantly is, but it is, it's not unrelated for women. But, but these things get all intertwined and intermingled because on the other side of that, we have women who, uh, who feel as though they, they, their value and their desirability is based on how they look because our culture is talking about sex being this and, and these types of women, these body types and, and these models are put forth as, as what is desirable. So we have women who are, are seeking value and validation and identity in how they look. And we have women and young women and young girls that are putting forth images of themselves and selfies and um, you know, in, in very presumptuous poses and putting them on Instagram, putting them on Facebook, putting them on Twitter, 
putting them out through Snapchat, sending them to boys at school that have asked for them. And this is, I mean, you, this is so pervasive and so common. And what's going on there? Well, they're being controlled by this idea of sex in our culture. They're being controlled by their need to be validated, to have value. And the, and the world says, well, you have value when you look like this or when you put yourself out like that. And boys will tell them, oh, yeah, I, I like it whenever I get to see you and that part of you. And, and this goes on and on. And this becomes something that is not freedom but is, in fact, slavery. And then on the other side of that, if, if, if girls don't feel like they can put themselves out, like, out there like that for a number of reasons, maybe because they don't like their body or they don't feel like their body matches what the world says is, you know, desirable. Maybe they're not putting the images out there, but they're so often just as controlled by it because they're constantly thinking that. They're constantly hating their body. They're constantly um, cursing the way that they look and cursing the mirror and feeling less than. And so this is an issue that Paul says, you're not thinking about it. You don't get to approach sex casually and say it has no effect on me. He says, yeah, it may be legal, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. You, we're, we're, he's For freedom, Christ has set you free, Right? And he who Christ has set free is free indeed. And so you need to break the chains of the sexual bondage of your culture and step into a world that is far greater with blessing and pleasure, actually. That, that God's design for sex is not just better in some safe way, but actually in a, in a way of pleasure, in a way of holistic enjoyment. God has a better design for us. So... Paul says, yeah, it may be legal, but I'm not going to be dominated by anything. Verse 13, and this is, this is, what they, this is the excuse that they use. They say, well, uh, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will do, destroy both one and the other. And what they're saying in this is, 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 hey, you know, I got a desire, right? And when I get a desire to eat, I just eat because I got a stomach that starts grumbling, and, you know, it tells me I'm hungry, so I eat, and, and nobody's mad about that. And so I got the same desire sexually, and so if I got a desire, I find a willing and, you know, consented partner, then what, what's the big deal? Like, the, clearly, stomach, God put the stomach in there to crave food, and so he gave us food, and food is made for the stomach, and stomach made for the food. So, like, what's the difference? We're these, these, these creatures that have these needs and these desires, so what's the difference with sex? And, and so Paul is, is, is saying, listen, first of all, it's just flawed logic. Right, it's flawed logic because we all know that there's not that there it, the way we handle food, the way we approach food, and what food we eat, and how much of it we eat, and how often we eat has consequences, doesn't it? And nobody's mad about that. Nobody's angry and calling the people, you know, in all of these you know realms of of health, and when they're when they're talking about how you know, your body's going to handle food and what the right way to approach that is to get the most out of life and to be healthy and to not get these diseases and, you know, it, whatever those effects are, whether that be being overweight or having diabetes or having heart disease or, or just in general being fatigued. Like, nobody's offended when you say, hey, the way you eat is going to impact those things. You don't just get to eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and have no consequences. It will indeed catch up to you. And, and no one's offended by that. We may, not, we may not like heed their advice, right? but nobody's calling them bigots whenever they're saying, hey, just so you know, how you handle food will affect your life. And Paul's saying the same thing is true about sex. How you handle sex will affect your life, both practically and spiritually. And so he's saying, yeah, yeah, you, but, but here's what this idea is rooted in. 
because it says food is made for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. What, what they're saying is, hey, listen, our physical bodies don't matter anyway. All God's really worried about it is our soul. And so we can do what we want. We can do what we want physically. Like, that's not, that's not God's thing. He's just worried about our soul. It's called Gnosticism. And oftentimes it's, it's, it's used in, in this day and really sometimes in our day to talk about how, you know, some people only worry about spiritual things. They're not worried about the earth. They're not worried about people's physical needs because they are, well, God just called me to worship in spirit and truth and I'm not worried about physical things. And so oftentimes it goes into this weird religious realm of like, well, I'm not going to, I don't care that there's people hungry. I don't care that there's orphans suffering. I don't care that, you know, that, you know, I need to take care of the earth or whatever because God's just worried about the spirit. But it also goes the other way whenever they're saying, hey, you know, physical matter, right? Physical, like flesh, and, and like those things don't actually matter to God because one day he's just going to burn this whole world and we're going to have a whole new earth on the other side of eternity. So this stuff doesn't matter. So I'll just do what I want. It's all going to burn anyway. It doesn't matter what I eat because. God's going to destroy the food and my stomach, and we're going to have a new... And, and the whole point, and we did a Kingdom Come series just really unpacking all this, is, is no, like, it does matter because our bodies are not just this thing that God had to tolerate to be a vehicle for our soul, right? It wasn't like God really wanted communion with our soul and with our hearts and with the immaterial, but the only way he could do that was to give us these vehicles to, to sort of live in. No, 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 God has a purpose for our bodies. And that's what Paul is going to say next. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. So Paul's saying, hey, you set your sights too low to say the food is made for the stomach, stomach for food. And so, well, hey, you know, I have sexual needs. So, you know, clearly these organs were, were made this way. What's the big deal? Let me get those needs met. Paul's saying, no, no, no. You, you, you're just applying that to one part of the body. You need to roll that all the way up and saying, hey, the body itself is not meant for sexual immorality, but for what? For the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And what he's saying there is, is that God made your body and he said that it was good. And as we're going to see as we keep going, is that God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So like physical, material things, this earth, our bodies matter to God. He made them. He said it was good. And when Jesus came, he came in what? He came in a body, didn't he? And when Jesus died, he died in a what? In a body, Right? An actual blood spilled out. An actual body was laid in a borrowed tomb. And an actual body got up out of that grave. And he says that Jesus and his resurrection is the first fruit. So we're going to follow him. He's raised Jesus from the dead. Like if our bodies didn't matter, then Jesus wouldn't have been raised physically. It would have just been this spiritual deal. But our bodies do matter. Jesus was raised from the dead physically. And we will be raised from the dead physically. So... Not only, so there's two things. So first of all, our bodies just matter on the front end of creation. God always had a design for our bodies. They were made to glorify him, to be image bearers of him, and to make much of his name in the world, to, to be co-heirs, co-rulers of this world. That was the original design. And God said that it was good. And he made our bodies on purpose. He's not just tolerating any of this. This is his original, this is his good, beautiful, and right design. So, It's not something we can approach flippantly. But then it says not only is the body made for the Lord, but the Lord for the body. That means that he has purposes for our body. Like he has reasons for our body existing here, now, presently. 
So he does care about what you eat. He does care about how you live. He does care about taking care of yourself. He does care about who you sleep with and how you approach that. He, he cares about all of those things because he designed our body for a purpose. And then more than that, more than that, this body, though it's going to be changed and transformed and glorified, it's still going to, like, there's continuity between this body and what we're going to have in eternity in the new heavens and new earth. Like, we don't, we don't understand fully how that works, but like, when, when Jesus comes back, the, the, the sites of cemeteries and all over the world is going to be an amazing thing because there's going to be this resurrection where, where our bodies are, are put back together in a glorified manner, the way that, that Jesus was after the resurrection, he was recognizable, but yet there was, you know, he was also walking through walls and stuff. So it's this, like, it's not, it's not like the same, but it's, it's not less than, it's more than, right? So our physical bodies, there's continuity between this life and the next. So it matters what you do with this body in this life. That's what Paul's saying. So he's just saying there's no such thing as casual sex. There's no such thing as, as just approaching this flippantly as a, as a biological need. I'll do what I want because it really doesn't matter. He says, no, it matters quite a lot. It matters quite a lot because... God made your body for a purpose, and that body is going to be with you in eternity. Then he says, uh, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Paul is going to use this, this theme, really, especially in, in chapter 6, but often he's going to be reminding them, do you not know? He's, he's, so often, guys, like they have valued as a church, as a people, like new information and, and this, this, you know, who can come up with new ideas and whatever. And, and so often what preaching is here to do and what the Bible is here to do is not to necessarily you know, teach us things that we didn't know, but to remind us of what we already have known and have forgotten or are just not living by. And so Paul is going to say over and over again, or do you not know, in verse 15 he says, that, you, that your bodies are members of Christ. So if you've here and you've been baptized, one of the things... Like when you're baptized, you're saying buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Like we are baptized into Christ. We are part of his body. And, and look, we're a little more familiar with some language we're going to get to later in 1 Corinthians about the church living as the body and how each of you have different gifts. And some people serve as the hand and some as the elbow and some as the foot and some as the eye and some as the mouth and all those sorts of things. But, there, but it, it's, it's more than a corporate thing of being the body of Christ. It's also like that we individually are members of Christ. We're baptized into Christ, that he died the death that we should have died and was raised to life and gives us the victory that only he can give. And in that, we are identifying ourselves with his death and with his resurrection, and we are now a part of his body. So, and, and that's the whole deal. That's before in the Old Testament, there, there was one place where God's spirit, his presence dwelt, and that was in the temple. And everybody had to come to that, had to come to him where he was. Jesus is on earth, and he's doing amazing things, and everybody's loving what he's doing, and, his ministry, and he's, he's only 33, right? And so it seems like his, his death is such a shame and such an early exit for this man who has such potential, and yet he flips it the other way, and he's telling his disciples before he leaves, he says, hey, it's actually better that I, he says, I'm about to leave. And they're like, whoa, 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 you leave us. We're not going to have anybody to follow. He says, no, 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 it's way better, actually. Because when I leave, I'm going to send the helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. 
And that what that is is the very presence of God coming to dwell within us. That once he has dealt with our sin, once he has made a way for our souls, our hearts to be cleansed and forgiven, whenever we confess Jesus, when we, when we say, Jesus, I am a Savior, I have no hope before you and a holy God, I, I'm going to spend eternity in hell because that's exactly what I deserve. When we confess that and we say, I need a Savior, and Jesus, I believe that you are that Savior, in that moment... We are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are justified and made whole. And our souls are cleaned. Slate, wiped clean. Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, come, I'll make them white as snow. And in that moment, the sin is no longer a problem to keep us separated from God. And he comes and takes up residence and dwells in us. You didn't come here this morning because God lives here. Right? In this pole building. You came here this morning to, to, to gather the body of Christ, to gather together as a bunch of believers, as miniature temples. All of you who are followers of Jesus brought the Spirit in here with you, and there's this concentrated beauty as we've gathered together where we worship him as one body, as a family connected. But you yourself are the temple. And Paul says that matters Because you're members of Christ, and as members of Christ, he says in verse 15, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never, or by no means. You would never do that. Right? Sometimes we feel like, well, we can't do certain things. Sometimes we talk different, act different, live different when we're at church, right? Because we feel like, well, we can't do that at church. Because right? we're going to have this, this is where God is. But he's saying, no, 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 it's silly. Like, God's in you, and so if you can't do it at church, you probably shouldn't be doing it at all, right? Because you are the temple. And so what he's saying here is, A, God's spirit lives within you, and B, sex is not just this casual physical act. It is a holistic becoming one flesh is how it's described in Genesis and all throughout Scripture. And, and that idea is not just about the, the physical connection, although that is not to be diminished, right? There is an actual physical joining, right? God designed the anatomy in such a way to be joined together that there's actually a becoming one flesh. And so there's that. But then more than that, like you now have the spirit of Christ living in you. So if, if you're going to go do that flippantly, in their case with prostitutes, in our case just with whoever we, we, we have a, a whim with before we're married, after we're married, whatever, then there's implications there because it's not just this casual physical act that doesn't have any implications. That's what the world wants you to know, wants you to believe, right? That you're just highly evolved animals and you have biological needs, so just do it as long as there's consent. You say, no, no, no. You're not just highly evolved animals. You're image bearers, and you're, you're those who have been bought with a price, as we're going to see in a moment. And what you do does indeed matter. And he says, so if you're, you house the Holy Spirit, would you then take them and become members of the prostitute? So he's saying, when you have sex, whether you think it's casual or not, whether you're married or not, there is this joining together of souls. There's this joining together not only of bodies, but also of souls that is... Not to be diminished. You can't just have casual sex is the the point. He says, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. Did you not know that? For it is written, the two will become one flesh in verse 16. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. 
He's saying, don't you know that when you do that, no matter how casual you think it is, no matter what, you know, what commitment level you think there is, there is actually something happening there, whether you're acknowledging it or not, because God designed sex not to just be a physical act, but to be an emotional, spiritual, and holistic bonding act. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but God designed sex on purpose for the, for, so again, we're not against sex here at The Journey, we're pro-marriage, because in marriage, between a man and a woman, there God has said, this is where this is going to be a really, really, really good gift. Okay, fire is a really good thing, and we enjoy it, we sit around it, and we enjoy it, and it's a good thing when it's in a fireplace, right? But when you get that thing outside of the fireplace, it's trouble, right? Then, it, then it's not a good thing, now it's a scary thing, now it's a dangerous thing, now it has consequences, right? So the same is true of sex. God has given us this good gift, and he says, this is where you're going to enjoy it. It stays here. And when it's here, it's really good. But part of, part of the why that matters is not just this physical act, because what God has designed to happen, and we'll talk about this at length in the podcast and a little bit more next week, but, but when we do have sex, our body is like there's things happening there, not just this physical pleasure, but there's there's chemicals being released, like dopamine that 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 is the, the same chemical that's like that's pleasure, and our body learns, hey, I want more of that, and so that's what kind of creates this addictive nature. But more than that, there's this other chemical. There's lots, but the two, there's this other chemical called oxytocin, and 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 it's connected. It's called the love hormone. But you know when it's also released, so it's released during sex. You know when it's also released when a mom is breastfeeding her kid. Why? Because it's made to bond made to attach. It's made to feel a connection. And that's what God has designed sex for, is to enhance, to enjoy the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's why even, even in our, you know, cultured society where they talk about, they say, you know, sex is casual and you could do it, whatever, you still see them processing the impacts of multiple partners and people who don't call them back. You know what I mean? When you're watching shows, because there's, there's been this connection there's, and there's this emptiness that happens after, like, because it's not made to be done casually. There is this joining together that is beyond physical. Though it is not less than physical, it is more than a physical connection. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, don't do that. You've got the Spirit of God in you. You are a member of Christ's body. Don't go giving yourself cheaply to, to whoever and whenever. No, no. It's made for a purpose within marriage, and that's God's good design. He's not, listen, here's the deal. He's not trying to steal from us. That's what the world says. Well, that's really repressive. That's really, like, how dare you? There was some article about some country singer that, that waited to get married recently. I didn't, I didn't even know him. He had some weird hair, but, um, but, but he waited. And people were, like, freaking out on him because him and his fiance didn't have sex before they got married, right? People had all sorts of opinion, and most of them were negative, Right? Because people don't like being told what they can and cannot do with their body. But, but here's the deal. It matters who's telling you. If it's just somebody that you don't know, somebody that has nothing vested in you, then yeah, you don't really want them telling you what you can do and what you can't do with your body, with your life. But that's not who's telling us this. This is not just a, a God who sits back from a distance waiting to smite whoever will step out of line and not do things the way he said to do them. No, no, no. This is a God who cares deeply. This is a God who created us, whose heart was broken when we sinned and we were separated from him. And he didn't just sit back, but instead he came. 
This is what Paul's going to say in, in the next few verses. Verse 18 says, Because of all this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And so you'd be like, well, I thought all sins were equal. You know, God doesn't, you know, have this scale of, well, this sin is worse and this sin is not that big a deal. And so this person is going to more hell than that person. And so you're like, I thought all sins were equal. Well, they, they are as far as justification goes, but as far as consequences go, they're not. Okay? So as far as, you know, the effects of our sin, there are indeed varying degrees of consequences. Okay? So when I'm coming into the church on a Sunday morning and it's really early and I'm out here at this stoplight by the hospital that can take like 15 minutes to turn, and maybe I decide to go ahead and turn while it's still red. That's breaking the law, and honestly, I shouldn't even joke about it because it's a sin. But you know what? It doesn't have near the consequences of if I step outside of my marriage and unite myself with, an, with another woman that's not my wife. Because now not only is that, not only have I sinned against myself and against the Lord, I've sinned against my wife, I've sinned against my kids, I've sinned against you as a church. Like, the consequences I, I just begin to, like, amplify and multiply greatly and quickly, Right? So the consequences are indeed different, and that's what he's saying. So he says, flee sexual immorality because God has a good gift designed for you there, but the world has distorted it, and if you go there, it's going to harm you. And again, it's not just this God who sits back and says, don't do that, and he's trying to steal our fun. Instead, he says this, verse 19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That price is exactly what we talked about when we unpacked communion a while ago. You say, well, it's my body. I can do what I want. Well, is it? Did you make it? Right? Did you engineer this whole deal? You will it into existence? Think my head would be this big and bald if I designed my body? Right? No, I'd, I'd make a few changes. Yeah, it's my body. I can do it. Is it, though? Is it your body? Did you make it? No, you didn't. Who made it? Colossians says Jesus was the one by whom and through whom all things were made and all things hold together. Jesus owns your body. But he's not just a guy that's, that's sitting back saying, this is my deal. You do what I want. No, no. Jesus also came in a body. He took on a body to, to give his life so that you could be set free from the slavery of sin and other, of sexual sin and all, lots of others, Jesus came and gave his life. And so like, we're, we're too used to hearing that as a church. Like, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, and we're not moved by it. Like, that's, that's craziness that we're not moved by what Christ has done on the cross. That Philippians 2 unpacks this beautiful passage that says that he was equal with God. Jesus was on the throne in heaven. He's there. He's equal with God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to lay this aside in order to come and make a purchase, to, to lay my life down, to be a ransom for these people. And that is you and I. Like, we were bought with a price, and the price is high. Yes, salvation is free, but it, it, it cost our Lord his life. He gave his life. And when we understand the cost of something, now we, okay, it's going to change how we use it. Real quick, fairly silly illustration, but, but, but here's when I learned this lesson, that the cost of something matters 
as far as how I use it or not. So back when I was in third grade, these shoes were a big, big deal. Uh, now Jordan brand is whatever, but these were just Michael Jordan. And so I wanted some so bad. I was obsessed with Michael Jordan. I played basketball all the time, and, and, and I wanted them. But you know what? Those suckers were 100 bucks back then. And nowadays, that's like not that big a deal. But back then, right, in 93, 100 bucks for a pair of shoes on a boy that outgrew shoes every like two months. My mom was like, no way. And she said, no way, a lot. And I asked her again and again and again and again and again, like every day. Hey, can I get them, please? Can I get them, please? I'll do whatever. I'll mow the yard. I'll do all these things. I'll give you this money. And she's like, I'm not even going to let you spend your money on something that you're going to outgrow. You're not going to spend 100 bucks on something you're going to outgrow in a couple months. It's foolishness. I'm not going to do it. And so she said no over and over and over and over and over again. And one day, finally, she was like, okay. Fine. Will you be? Will you be happy? Will you take care of them? Can we buy them at half size too big? Like it's a little last, a little longer. And said, yeah, yeah. I'll do whatever, mom. I'll do whatever. And so, I fi- like I couldn't believe it. My mom finally said yes, and then I kind of felt guilty. I'm like, man, my mom's going to spend a hundred bucks on these shoes. Like that's kind of foolish. But I, like I talked her into it, and so I go and I buy these shoes, and I'll never forget. Like that night, I was just so excited, I couldn't sleep, and I wore them the next day. And the next day at school, I remember being like, well, no, like I'm not going to walk. Like I'm staying on the concrete. Like. My friends are out there playing. I'm like, nope, sorry, I can't get in the grass. These shoes cost. Like, and so like, it changed how I used those shoes totally. I'd never thought about walking in the grass before. I didn't care to run through some mud. I'm a third grade boy, right? I just do what I do and come home. Mom's like, what'd you do with your shoes? I don't know. I played in the mud. But now I knew the cost of these things, right? I knew what they cost. I knew what they were worth. And I was not going to get them filthy. I was not going to. I didn't want to play basketball in them. I didn't want somebody to step on them, Right? Just walked around all day. Like. And then when I got home that night, I cleaned the soles of them with Q-tips. True story. True story. For like the next week, I just, every night I get home and I clean those suckers, I polish them up and literally like turn them over on the sole and like get every little thing out of them. Because I was upset because I knew what they cost. And the cost was really, really high back then. And that's a silly illustration of something that really doesn't matter that much. But here's the, here's the idea. Your salvation, your soul, and your body were bought by Jesus on the cross. You understand that? That when when the Bible says that God is love and that God loves you, that's not just some flippant statement that he says because he has some feeling. No, 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 no. He he showed it by, by literally giving of his life on the cross. You cost him his life. Your sin cost him his life. But he said, Your worth is defined by the cost that I paid, by the price that I paid on the cross. And so, his invitation is to come be set free. To not just say, forgive me of my sins, I'm going to do what I want, but to make him the Lord of my life. And, And when we do that, when we confess that we are a sinner, Jesus is the Savior, and the Bible says confess him as Lord, that means that we say, you are now in control of my life. Why? Because you've earned that right. You're worthy. You have the authority anyway, whether we acknowledge it or not, but I'm going to acknowledge you as my Lord now, and I'm going to let you tell me what to do, how to do it, and who to do it with, and that includes sex. So when the world tries to tell us that the the biblical ethic of sex only being within marriage between a man and a woman is repressive, oppressive, and got like that we're missing out, you tell them, no, 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 you don't know about love. You don't know what Jesus has gone through to... To be able to say to me, this is how you handle your body. I was bought with a price, and I matter. I'm not going to step off in the mud 
because I matter. I was bought, I, like my body, my soul was bought with a, with a price, and that price was high. So how I use my body, who I unite it with, that matters. So here's the deal. If you're here today and you're engaged in sexual immorality in any way on a consistent basis, our invitation to you is to repent, to repent, to come and be set free. Because God has a good design for sex. But even if you never get married and you don't get to have sex, you're not less than. Right? Jesus didn't. It's not this biological need that you have to have met, otherwise you're, you're not really living. No, no, no. It's, it's a good gift that's designed for marriage, man and a woman. And in that, it's really, really good. But you know what? If you never get a fireplace, it's okay to not ever have a fire. But like, if you do, it's good. But, but here's the deal. Like, step outside of the bondage of sexual immorality. Let Jesus cleanse you, let him heal you, and let him point you in the direction of where you will be set free, where you'll experience true and holistic what it means to be a human. Jesus gets to make that call because he designed us. So it's a matter of surrendering, saying, I've, I've tried to do this on my own. I thought I knew better. I thought that consequences were manageable, whatever. Some of you are in really deep. Some of you may be in affairs that no one knows yet. Some of you may be really, really, really addicted to, to pornography or to sex with people that aren't your, your spouse. Listen, don't keep trying to hide. Don't keep trying to fix that yourself. Come and throw yourself at the one who has the power to break those chains, to set you free, to wipe your slate clean, and you start over. You start, you, you get to be cleansed by Jesus himself. Your worth is redefined. Though you may have made a mess of your body and the gift that he's given you, he can redefine your value and your worth when he cleanses you from your sins as you come to the cross. Let's pray. God, would you, would you help us to comprehend the fullness of your love for us as it is displayed in the cross, as it is displayed in you even coming to earth and help us to comprehend your authority as it's displayed in the resurrection. And help us to submit to you. Forgive us where we have felt like, man, we can do what we want. Forgive us. Make us into a people that honor you with our bodies, honor you with our sexual ethic. Father, would you give courage and faith to those who need to repent this morning? Would you do that? We need it. Would you hold up the banner of freedom and of a father who's, who's ready to embrace rather than a judge who's just here to condemn? You do both, and we don't, have, we don't have rails to understand all of that. But our condemnation is cast on Jesus when we trust in him. So would you help us to sense and know who you are that is inviting us to come and repent this morning, and would you give us the courage to do that? In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.